Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. For the fourth time since 2015, the New York Yankees were eliminated in the postseason by the Houston Astros. And this time, the Yankees had to watch the Astros celebrate going to the World Series in their own ballpark after a clean sweep by the Strohs over the Yankees last night with 6-5 to five victory. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. For the next three hours, I'll be here and I'll be joined by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We have a tremendous show lined up for you today, as always. Ross Jackson will join us for the Big Easy Blitz. That'll be at 8.30 today. Talking about how the Saints can get back on track. Just when you think they have no shot, the rest of the league is like, hold my beer, we're awful, you still have a chance. Despite being 2-5, and five, you still have a chance to win this division. Eight wins is probably going to win the NFC South. Not like a good old 8-9 and nine team in the playoffs. We'll talk about the Saints with Ross at 8.30 this morning. At 8.15, we've been telling you about the Realtor Association of Acadiana's annual gumbo cook-off. That's going to be at Park International on Wednesday to talk to us about the event that raises money for three different charities here locally is Christy House from Next Home Cutting Edge Realty. They have one of the gumbo teams, the cook-off teams, competing. We'll get the lowdown about the event and how it helps people in need here locally. That'll be at 8.15. And at 8, 7.30, rather, 7.30, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio will join us talking all things LSU. Big win for them as they rallied yet again, did so against Mississippi State, did so against Auburn, and then did so against Ole Miss, and then just crushed the Rebels' faces in the second half. We'll discuss that with Jeff Palermo at 7.30. So we have three great guests lined up for you today. We'll also recap the Meanies Cowboys' tough loss on the road, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns' big win at home against Arkansas State, and so much more. But we're going to start off with those Houston Astros. Yankees' backs were against the wall. It's game four. I felt like the Yankees would win game three, but they didn't. And then it was, okay, can they just not get swept? Can they avoid the sweep? That's what you're kind of looking for in that moment. The Yankee fans were already 
not interested in game four Sunday in the Bronx. As this became a thing on social media, that ticket prices went from over $200 for game four of the American League Championship Series all the way down to $19. Shout out to that fan base. Ah, for supporting their team. <laughs> Just said, I'm done. Just said, I'm done. I'm not even going to go. And ticket prices plummeted. Absolutely plummeted. Ticket prices went on the secondary market for game four originally was $211. After going down 3-0, the ticket prices went all the way down to $28. That was an 87% drop-off. Then the game was delayed for rain, even though it wasn't raining. Not really for sure what happened there. But then they played the game. And it, it appeared that the Yankees would finally get a win in this series. Stan has an RBI single there in the bottom of the first. Then they add another run, and they jump out to a 2-0 lead, and then add another run in the second, and it's a 3-0 ball game, and you're thinking the Yankees are off and running. Well, not so fast. <laughs> not, not so fast if you're a Yankees fan. Jeremy Pena, who has been magnificent this postseason, Homers to left, three-run blast that ties up the game with one swing. Then Yuli Gurriel, who has been magnificent this postseason after a terrible regular season, <clears throat> he brings in a run to give the Astros a 4-3 lead. But the Yankees respond. Rizzo and that experience of winning a World Series championship with the Cubs he scores Bader on a single in the fourth, and it's a 4-4 game. So we add ourselves a bit of a back-and-forth affair. Then Bader home run, hits a home run, a solo shot in the sixth, 5-4 Yankees. But it wasn't enough. Alvarez... Brings in a run in the seventh. And then Bregman follows him with a single in the seventh as well. Back-to-back -back RBI singles. That makes it 6-5. That's your final score. Stroh's advance to the World Series for the fourth time since 2017. And they eliminate the Yankees yet again. Interesting. Stat from that, though, is that the Astros made history. Not because they're going to the World Series back-to-back -back years or the fact that they're facing another National League East team, which they are because the Phillies, led by a magnificent postseason performance by Bryce Harper, they won their eighth NL pennant in team history, and they're going to the World Series. 
No, what's interesting to me is they eliminated the Yankees yet again, the fourth time, 2015, 2017, 2019, and now 2022. And according to MajorLeagueBaseball.com's Sarah Langs, the Astros eliminated the Yankees in the postseason for the fourth time. If that happens, four times would be, be the most any team has eliminated the Yankees from postseason in their storied history. No other team has been more the bane of their existence than the Astros to the Yankees. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And you knew when the Astros went up 3 nothing that it was going to be a done deal. In a best-of-seven playoff set, 38 teams that go up 3 nothing have won 39 series, the lone exception being the Red Sox in the 2004 ALCS when they came back down 3 nothing to beat the New York Yankees. Apparently, reports are the Yankees actually watched some footage of that to be inspired to rally. So they actually watched footage of them choking away a World Series berth. Not really for sure if that was the best thing to do. Just going to throw that out there. And the Astros move on. And they're going to face one of the hottest teams in baseball. Ironically, it's the team they wrapped up the regular season with. They hosted the Phillies for three games set to wrap up the regular season. There for the regular season finale, game 162. Myself, Foot, Blaine, and Ben. Didn't think we were going to see a World Series matchup that day, but sure enough, here we are. And the Astros are in the World Series. They haven't dropped a game. Haven't dropped a game. And on top of that, they've they're gotten there with some of their best players not playing well. Think about that for a minute. You're the Houston Astros. You haven't dropped a game in the postseason. And a couple of your best players, franchise players, haven't even played well yet. Altuve finally woke up. Yesterday in the Bronx, he usually plays well there. That irritates Yankee fan all day long. Going two for four with two runs scored. But Jeremy Pena, phenomenal. He went two for four. Jordan Alvarez, he went two for four. Kyle Tucker got himself a hit. They've been carried by guys like Yuli Gurriel or McCormick or Maldonado and Jeremy Pena. Now you're getting Al Tuve starting to hit, finally, after his 0 for 800 start to the postseason. You're getting Jordan Alvarez starting to hit. It's going to be a heck of a World Series. And now you've got this storyline in the World Series for the Strohs 
because during this great run that they've had of six straight ALCSs, now they're going to their fourth World Series in that stretch. The two World Series they lost were against NL East teams. Lost to the Washington Nationals inexplicably in 2019. Lost to the Atlanta Braves last year in 2021. Now it's the Philadelphia Phillies' turn. Not to worry, Astro fan. Feel confident that I can speak for the majority of Braves fans where I'll say, not to worry, we'll be cheering you on because we have no desire to see Philadelphia win a World Series championship. But that goes back to hardcore fandom. (laughs) But Astros, Phillies, World Series, Phillies, hottest team in baseball, got hot at the right time, got in as a wild card team. They remind me a lot of last year's Braves team. Nearly had the same amount of wins. I think it's like 88 to 87. Both got in as a wild card team. And think of the Phillies' path to get here. Philadelphia went into St. Louis, beat the Cardinals. Went into Atlanta, took down the Braves, the defending World Series champs, division rival. Then eliminated the San Diego Padres in the NLCS. They're not going to be intimidated or afraid of anybody. Game one of the World Series will be Friday. You can listen to that game on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, 1520 AM. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Black Panther Wakanda forever? Then text the word Panther, P-A-N-T-H-E-R, to 337-283-8100. That's 337-283-8100 for your chance to score a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November the 10th. Once again, text the word Panther to 337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. I mean, I don't know about you. I would like to see that. Let's see how they're going to do that. No Bozeman. They're going to have to take the story in a different direction. I did enjoy the first Black Panther thoroughly. So, hey, try to win those tickets. I can't win them. Hannah can't win them. Not allowed, but you can. Got to send that text message out. Last night, Astros punched their ticket to the World Series, their fourth trip since 2017. This time they will look to beat a team from the NL East. While that was going on in a game that was delayed, 
The New Orleans Pelicans were looking to start off the NBA season 3-0. and Lots of buzz about this team. Lots of buzz about this team being an actual contender in the Western Conference. They were taking on the Jazz. It was the home opener for the Pels there in the Smoothie King Center. They lose 122-121 to to Utah in overtime. Nothing to hang your head about too much. But two things happened in the game that gave Pelicans fans pause. And it was to their two biggest stars. Zion Williamson, who looks healthy, who looks dominant, took a hard fall with about eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. He tried to dunk it. It was blocked by Jordan Clarkson. And Williamson, who had just blocked Clarkson's shot on the other end, thought he had a breakaway dunk and cocked the ball back with his left hand. Clarkson was able to get his hand on the ball, and Williamson took a fall landing on his backside. Williamson initially said he was good to stay in the game and did so for the next possession, but he was clearly, clearly affected. Just six seconds later, the Pelicans checked him out for good. The trainers wanted Zion to head back to be examined, but he waved them off and stayed on the bench for the rest of the game. It wasn't until after the game that the Pelicans said Williamson was unable to return to play because of the injury, which the team is calling a posterior hip contusion. The guy who can't stay healthy getting injured in game number three. We talked about it. We talked about it. We talked about it. This team's got great chemistry. It's got a great coach. He knows how to motivate them. They have a nice mix. You got to like the roster a lot, the pieces that they have. Will Zion stay healthy? Can Zion even play in 60 games? Doesn't have to play in 82 regular season ball games. Can he just play in, say, 60? Game three, already injured. C.J. McCollum admitted afterwards to reporters, in particular Andrew Lopez, our good friend from ESPN, that the fall wasn't, (laughs) that it wasn't good, but he was hopeful the forward wouldn't miss much time. At the time of his injury and being forced to sit on the bench, Williamson had 25.6 rebounds. He was 10 of 16 from the floor in just 30 minutes. We'll find out more today, obviously if he's going to miss time. With both Williamson and Ingram out, the Pelicans, though, despite having their two All-Stars out of the game, Ingram was out for concussion protocol after he collided with teammate Najee Marshall as the two went up to attempt to steal a pass late in the first quarter. So, he was out of the game with a head injury and concussion protocol. Despite having both of those guys out, the Pelicans forced overtime. They were down by as many as 17 in the fourth quarter without Zion, without B.I. They were able to force overtime. Unfortunately, Utah was able to win the game in overtime when Kelly Onick hit a winner with 3.1 seconds to go. So despite... Having Zion out of the game, despite having Brandon Ingram out of the game, 
they still were able to force overtime and just lose on a last-second shot in overtime. So you love the fight that you saw on the team. You love the fact that Willie Green was able to get that team still to focus, motivated, made a game of it, didn't just roll over because two of their biggest stars and two of their best players were out of the game. You love seeing that. But if you're a Pelicans fan, you're holding your breath. And unfortunately, this is what you're going to have to do. It's what you're going to have to do. Because Zion hasn't proven that he can play a healthy season. So when you see him fall like he did last night, you're going to think the worst thing because you've seen him miss game after game after game after game. Now the Pelicans get back into action tonight. They're at home against the Dallas Mavericks before heading west for a three-game road trip against the Suns, Clippers, and Lakers. Does Zion get held out of tonight's game? Do they save him for the three-game road trip for the West Coast? What about Brandon Ingram? We'll find out. If I had to guess, I'd say both of those guys won't play tonight. And then they'll be evaluated whether or not they can play on the three-game road trip against Phoenix, L.A., and the other L.A. team. But a scary moment if you're a Pels fan. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, it'll be time for us to talk a little LSU football. What a way to win a game. Down 17-3. to Looks like Ole Miss is in complete control until they weren't. And LSU came to life, Death Valley came to life, and they clobbered Ole Miss to vault back into the top 25. We'll talk about that game and hear from the coaches and the players next. That's coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter. Isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to cook up some gumbo for a very good cause. The Realtor Association of Acadiana is hosting its annual gumbo cook-off at Park International on Wednesday, October 26, from 5 to 7 o'clock. The family-friendly event features a Halloween costume contest, music by the Rouge Crew, and, of course, great gumbo from 26 teams of area realtors who are competing to earn the title of Best Gumbo. Tickets cost $10 and can be purchased with cash only at the event, All proceeds, this is what makes it so great, all proceeds benefit three local charities in Maddie's Footprints, Habitat for Humanity, and Lane's Legacy. So come out and eat some gumbo, help out local charities, and have some Halloween fun with the Realtor Association of Acadiana's annual gumbo cook-off this Wednesday at Park International. We've talked Houston Astros punching their ticket to their fourth World Series in six years. 
They become the first team to eliminate the New York Yankees in the postseason for four times. That's never happened before. And they do so with a sweep after sweeping the Seattle Mariners. Astros haven't lost a game. And here's the thing. They have not been perfect during this postseason run. Left way too many runners in uh, runners on the base path in scoring position and not bringing them home. Jose Altuve began the postseason on an 0-for-28 streak. Hitless streak. Justin Verlander didn't look good in his first postseason game. They haven't been perfect. Bullpen has been nasty, though. Astros' bullpen has been phenomenal. And they've gotten contributions like Jeremy Pena, who is the ALCS MVP, a rookie nonetheless. They've had other guys step up. And that's what makes them so dangerous. But they're going to be taking on a Philadelphia Phillies team, which is one of the hottest in baseball. They remind me a lot of last year's Braves team. Same amount of wins, wild card team, goes on the road, plays its best baseball. We'll see what happens. Should be a good World Series between the Phillies and the Astros. Once again, game one will be Friday night. They will announce the times today for the World Series. We still don't have those. Still waiting on Major League Baseball to figure that out. Not really for sure what's to figure out. You just tell us what time they are. You just pick the times. I'm not really for sure why there's juggling involved. But we'll have game one of the World Series Friday night on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. New Orleans Pelicans lost last night. They were trying to start the season off 3-0. and Zion Williamson has some type of contusion after a hard fall in the ball game. Brandon Ingram looked like, to me, he was put in concussion protocol. We'll see if those two guys are able to play tonight when the Dallas Mavericks come to town before the Pelicans head off for a three-game West Coast trip. But we got to talk about what happened in Death Valley. Signature win time for Brian Kelly. They went, and they've done this a few times now. They were down by double-digit points to Mississippi State at home, came back and beat them. They were down by double-digit points on the road at Auburn, came back to beat them. They were in a back-and-forth affair against Florida. All those were good wins. All of those were good wins. But Auburn is a mess. Florida is rebuilding. Mississippi State's Mississippi State. The statement win, opportunity for a real statement win, a signature win, as you like to say, was Saturday when undefeated Ole Miss came to town. Now, we talked about the betting line changing on this game, right? And that it moved. Originally, it was Ole Miss was the favorite. And then that's changed, that shifted to LSU being the favorite. For the first half, majority of the first half, you were like, oh, no. Ole Miss got up by as much as 17-3. to And then the LSU offense just woke up. And they would go on to absolutely bury Ole Miss in the second half. That was a good old-fashioned molly whopping. A game that they were trailing, a game that they were down by two touchdowns at their own place against a nationally ranked top 10 team. Ended up being a laugher as LSU improved to 6-2 and two overall 
on the season as they whooped up Ole Miss 45-20. to You're down by two touchdowns, and you win 45-20. to Unbelievable. Jaden Daniels, he's pretty good. He's turned into being pretty good, rather. Because he started off the season rough. Efficient yesterday uh, on Saturday, rather. 21 of 28, 248 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He was sacked four times. Ole Miss did get a pretty good pass rush. But he also scored three touchdowns on the ground. 137 yards he gained. Only lost 16, 121 net yards on the ground. He led the Tigers in rushing. Josh Williams added another 75. LSU was able to run the football, run it effectively. And Daniels, even though no wide receiver went off crazy in this ballgame, Daniels was efficient. Everyone had a couple of catches. Dre Jenkins, Mason Taylor, Kayshawn Butte, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr., Josh Williams, Kyron Lacey. They all at least had two catches in this ballgame. And then LSU's defense, which I said has been its strength. I think we saw why Harold Perkins Jr. was a bad man. LSU was dominant in that second half. Started in the second quarter, carried over in the third and the fourth. You have seen this team progress as the season has gone along. Once again, Brian Kelly took over a team that had less than 40 scholarship players on the roster. Had to use a wide receiver as quarterback for its bowl game. This is the program he took over. He's got guys starting on his team from Florida International, McNeese, UL. Those are guys that aren't accustomed to playing SEC competition. And this team is now 6-2 and two and ranked in the top 25 heading into the Bama game. They have the bye this week. They'll have a week to prepare to welcome in Alabama to Death Valley. That is going to be an electric atmosphere. And they'll have another chance to make another statement win. They failed to do so against Tennessee. We're humbled at home. But since then, went on the road, beat Florida. Then on Saturday, whooped up on Ole Miss in the second half. People doubted Brian Kelly. People said he didn't think he'd be a good coach. People said he didn't think he'd fit in here. People made fun of his dance moves. And as someone noted yesterday, his fake Tim McGraw accent. Tigers are ranked in the top 25. They're 6-2. and two, And they just curb stomped Ole Miss. I think that's doing a pretty good job. First year at the helm of a program that was an absolute dumpster fire. Floating down a flooded street when he took over. Just say. Maybe, maybe. Maybe he's actually a good coach. Just going to throw that out there. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but just going to throw that out there. Tigers improved to 6-2 and two overall. 
Now they get the bye week and they await the Alabama game, which is going to be ridiculous. Jane Daniels put on quite a show. Yet again, five total touchdowns in this ball game. And Brian Kelly talked about his senior quarterback's performance Saturday in Death Valley. You know, the quarterback was, was, was excellent again, uh, back-to-back weeks leading the offense. He was the catalyst for us making quick decisions. Um, he was assertive, aggressive, um, ran the ball. The offensive line was outstanding, uh, as you know, really put the game away at the end. And we got stronger. I mean, we exerted our will against our opponent, which is part of what we're building here is that we want a – you know, a dominant mindset amongst our group that, you know, come the second half, um, we want to be able to run the ball effectively um, and, and control our opponent uh, and move him against his will. And I thought we did that. So great victory. Um, excited for our guys. we got some time off, which we need. And um, we'll get a chance to um, get on the road recruiting and um, get ready for our next opponent and um, give these guys a little time off. Well, it'd be a good time to do some recruiting, wouldn't it? <laughs> it'd be a good time to do some recruiting right now. Get to build off that momentum. Brian Kelly ain't a dummy. I, I told you guys. I, I tried to tell you. He's going to bring stability. He's going to bring accountability to the program that desperately needed some. Whether or not he wins a national title is neither here nor there. You needed someone to come in to fix things. And so far, he's done a nice job, and this team has gotten better as the season's progressed. That's called good coaching. When you see a team struggle early on and they fix those mistakes and they work on it, and as the season goes along, they get better, that comes from good coaching and good organization. If you see a team do the opposite, that means they're not well coached. And that's what you saw the last two years at LSU. You're not seeing that right now. They made some great adjustments, which is another thing that I'm starting to see from Brian Kelly and his staff, that they're able to make in-game adjustments, in particular adjustments at halftime. And they made some defensive adjustments at halftime where they turned around and then just absolutely shut down Ole Miss's offense. Rebels couldn't do anything. And Kelly was asked, what were those adjustments that he and his staff made at the break? I can't give you all of those. They're secrets. Um <laughs> I really would like to tell you um, there were a lot, but I think we just got a little bit more aggressive uh, in talking to Matt at halftime. Uh, sometimes we, we we tend to you know cover up some some things that we feel like are um, weaknesses, and uh, they're not really that weak. Uh, and we just kind of said, let's go play, um, and probably a little bit more aggressive maybe in the second half, and 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 just let the guys play. So it reveals a little bit there as well, right? Where they admit that sometimes they, they, they work to try to hide things, the deficiencies on their team, on their defense in particular. And basically he's telling you, look, we just had to kind of let go, let control of the situation and just let our guys go out there and play and be aggressive. And sure enough, they dominated Ole Miss in the second half. Part of that dominant play was Harold Perkins Jr. He put on the show, and Kelly talked about what that young man was able to bring to the table Saturday night. 
he was good. You know, he's active. As you saw, we, you know, it's it's hard to get him on the field as much, but we felt like it was a, it, it was really important to get him out on the perimeter because he can run things down and he's a very good pass rusher. Um, he's a he's an exceptional player. I think everybody knows that. Um, but within our structure. Um, some guys lose some playing time because of it, and some really good players lose some playing time. Um, he's a really good player, and he impacts our defense, no doubt. You're going to have to find a way to get Perkins on the field more because, and, and Kelly's right, the defensive scheme that they run, that they're running so many different guys out. They substitute so many guys, especially based on the personnel of the opposing team. But Perkins, every time he's on, he's on the field, he makes plays. So you're going to have to find a way to get that guy on the field. Because that's what he does. He's a game changer for this this football team. You saw Coach Kelly share a few moments. You saw him share one with Kayshawn Butte, which he talked a little bit about afterwards. About, you know, Kayshawn told him, make sure to shout out the defense in the postgame presser. He said that that's what Kayshawn told him afterwards. And he said, all right, I can take care of that. So you like what you're hearing there. With Kayshawn taking on more of a leadership role, it seems like he's kind of woke up, if that makes any sense, and that he's fully embraced his role with this team. And he also, Kelly shared a nice moment with Daniels at the end of the game, and he shared with the media what that was. You know, this was a big game uh, in, in a lot of ways because it was th- this needed to be that, um, you know, we're reaching that level of consistency of performance. And um, I, I think... I think we both knew that if he was able to solidify another performance of similar um, quality, that we were off and running. And I think we both looked at each other and said, all right, let's go. Uh, It's time. And I think we both felt the same way, that he's in a very good place uh, where he can run this offense now, and he feels very comfortable with it, and he's ready to do really good things for us. And now you look at the rest of LSU's schedule. Bama's vulnerable. You would still probably favor Bama in that matchup? Maybe. But have you seen how bad Texas A&M is? They're awful. This LSU team as it stands right now, heading into the bye week, they can beat Arkansas, they can beat UAB, they can beat Texas A&M. Even if they lose to Bama, that still makes them, wait for it, a 9-3 and team. In year one of Brian Kelly. Just going to throw it out there. Still a lot of work to do. Stay, Got to stay healthy. Still got to improve. But this team has an opportunity to be a 9-10 win team this year. I think that's a pretty good job. That's just me, though. We got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil the poll question of the day. It was something that occurred inside Tiger Stadium that made me shake my head a little bit. We want to hear from you. It's our poll question of the day. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. LSU Tigers were down 13 to nothing to Mississippi State. Down 17-0 on the road to Auburn. Down 17-3 against Ole Miss at home. And they won all of those games. <laughs> it shows you a little bit about the character of that team. It really does. Our poll question of the day is about the LSU Tigers. But more importantly, what occurred after beating Ole Miss. 
Fans stormed the field at Tiger Stadium. Fans stormed the field at Tiger Stadium for beating the Ole Miss Rebels. My first reaction to that was, really? What are you, Clemson? Clemson fans storm the field for no good reason all the time. You're like, really? You're LSU. Three years ago, you put together the greatest season in college football history. And now you're storming the field for beating an Ole Miss team? It's a good win. It's a signature win. Is that worth storming the field over? Maybe I'm old curmudgeon. Maybe I have higher standards. But that leads us to our poll question of the day. What do you think of LSU storming the field on Saturday? 49% of you say, hated it, you're LSU. (laughs) 43% say, so-so, it's Ole Miss. 8% say, loved it, big victory. Ton on Twitter says, it's Ole Miss. Overrated, overhyped, underwhelming, and I expect an O for LSU team to beat Ole Miss, ranked or not. I mean, yay for beating number seven, but come on, man, have some pride. John Paul Cage Daddy says, I think a lot of people realize after that win that we do not need to wait a couple of rebuilding years that the coach is the right coach and the team is already good again. Ralph Bergeron says, honest, honest mistake. Someone thought they saw Coach O streaking on the field as time expired and 100,000 fans volunteered to tackle him. And CBS announced if the fans stormed the field, Gary Dalianson wouldn't call any more LSU games. <laughs> That's a good comment by Ralph. JPK, the OD, says, you're supposed to win. That's a Tennessee move. Show a little discipline. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it and share it, of course, as always, throughout today's show. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. We'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open. 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. For the fourth time in six years, the Houston Astros are headed to the Fall Classic as they sweep the New York Yankees with a 6-5 win yesterday in the Bronx. Where do the Yankees go from here? And are you going to be able to re-sign Aaron Judge? <laughs> MVP season, he's going to cost you probably 400 mil. And the way this Yankees team is built, it's good enough, but it's not good enough to get to a World Series. Be interested to see what the Yankees do. Because no matter what they do, they can't get past Houston. They just can't. Astros live rent-free in their head. Not only are the Houston Astros the only team to ever eliminate the Yankees in four different postseasons. That's the only team that's ever done that. They've done it 
since 2015. <laughs> They've done it four times since 2015. This isn't over like a 60-year stretch. This is since 2015. 15, 17, 19, 22. Yankees always find themselves having a great season until they face the Houston Astros. And the crazy thing about this Astros team, by the way, they haven't dropped a game yet this postseason. The last time they actually lost a game was to the Philadelphia Phillies in that regular season series finale at Minute Maid Ballpark. They haven't played their best. The Astros haven't even come close to playing their best. Jose Altuve finally got out of his slump. Remember, he started off like 0 for 28, 0 for 29, a Major League Baseball postseason record. Jordan Alvarez went through a stretch where he wasn't very good either. Doesn't matter. Jeremy Pena, your ALCS MVP, the rookie shortstop who replaced Carlos Correa. He has stepped up. Yuli Gurriel has stepped up. Alex Bregman has started to come on. Their lineup hasn't even got going. Not really. In the series wins over Seattle and New York. And their starting pitching has been very good, but not dominant. Their bullpen has been absolutely ridiculous how good they are. And you started to see in yesterday's game, Altuve got a couple hits, Jordan Alvarez got a hit. Are the Strohs now peaking at the right time? Are they starting to put everything together while still being undefeated in the postseason, while going to the World Series? That's crazy. But now Houston who's in their fourth World Series in six years. Once again, game one will be Friday night. We're still waiting to find out the exact times, start times, for the World Series games. We should find out those this afternoon. Game one will be on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, this Friday. Now they have to face another National League East team that catches fire. 2019, it was the Nationals. Last year, it was the Atlanta Braves. Now, it's the Philadelphia Phillies. And I said this before, the Phillies team, this year's Phillies team reminds me a lot of last year's Atlanta team. Don't forget that the Phillies fired their skipper earlier in the season. Joe Girardi was given the axe. He was fired. And this team was able to rally and make a run. Only one win differential between last year's Braves team and this year's Phillies team for the regular season. And once again, you look what Philly did. They go on the road in the wild card round. They take two games from St. Louis. Cardinals were favored. Didn't matter. They went into Bush Stadium and said, not a big deal. We got this. Then they take down their division rival and the defending World Series champions. And did so with pretty much ease. And I'm a Braves fan, and I can say that. Then they faced the other wild card great story of the postseason in the San Diego Padres. 
did so four games to one. Needed only five games to make it to the World Series. Astros sweep the Yankees, got there in four. Phillies only needed five games. Cardinals, Braves, Padres, and did so with ease. This is not going to be an easy World Series for the Houston Astros. This will be the toughest competition they face. This will be the toughest task they face is the Philadelphia Phillies because they also have pitching. Wheeler is really good. Nola is really good. So they have a couple of good arms. Is the Astros pitching staff better than Philadelphia's? Absolutely. But as the baseball postseason has shown us over and over again, the team that is the hottest team, not the best team, not the best team, the team that's the hottest team usually wins the World Series. That's always been the, 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 the thing about baseball that makes it different. That's what makes it different. Is It's the team that's the hottest. Now, you could argue, yes, Philly may be the hottest team out there, but what about the Astros? They haven't lost a game this postseason. So you have two really hot teams facing off in the World Series. It should be a good fall classic. But if you're an Astro fan, how do you feel? Probably feel pretty confident. Feels like your team is starting to come around and you haven't lost a game yet in the postseason. But if you're a Phillies fan, you'll be like, bud, we took down the Cardinals, the Braves, and the Padres. We feel like a team of destiny. That's kind of kind of feels. Should be a phenomenal fall classic. Really should be. Over the weekend, though, it wasn't all Houston Astros. How about those LSU Tigers? Trail 17-3. At home to the Ole Miss Rebels. Ranked in the top 10. And they just turn it on. Harold Perkins Jr. and that defense... They made great second-half adjustments to dominate and shut down Lane Kiven's offense. And Jane Daniels put on a show yet again. Five total touchdowns for the Tigers' senior quarterback, the transfer from Arizona State. Three touchdowns on the ground, two through the air. He led the team in rushing. But the Tigers also were able to run the football, and that's going to get lost in all of this about how well the defense played and Jane Daniels, five touchdowns, and he led the team in rushing. That's great. But they were able to run the ball even without Jaden. Will Campbell, the freshman, who's their best offensive lineman, you're starting to see this O-line kind of come together a little bit. They're still not great, but they're getting better. And that's a huge component for LSU moving forward. If they're going to be able to effectively run the football, they're going to be in every game. They'll be in the Alabama game. And Daniels is spreading the wealth. And it seems like his receivers and him are all on the same page now. There doesn't seem to be any dysfunction. In LSU and this team... This year's team, Brian Kelly's team, the first year of the Brian Kelly era, he seemingly is starting to hit a stride. And when I look at this schedule, you know, for the longest time, for the first month of the season, it felt like 
this team's ceiling was seven, eight wins. That's what it felt like. Not only when you watched them play, but just seeing how they operated, seeing how they executed, it felt like a seven to eight win team. That was their ceiling. Here they sit heading into the bye, and they're ahead of schedule. They're six and two overall with a loss to Florida State in the opener, a game they should have won. And then a loss to Tennessee, who may be a national title team. And they've even dusted themselves off after getting humbled by Tennessee at home, going on the road, winning a tough game against the Florida Gators, and then beating up on Ole Miss. And now you look at the rest of their schedule. They sit at 6-2. and two. They can give Alabama a scare all day long, absolutely. But let's say they lose to the Alabama. Let's say they fall to six and three. Well, it felt like the ceiling was going to be seven or eight wins for this team. But, okay, let's say they lose to Bama. They're six and three. I like them to beat Arkansas. I like them to beat UAB. And I surely like them to beat Texas A&M. So I could see them winning their final three games of the season. Easily. And that would make them nine and three. With a bowl game to go to get to ten wins. That's a heck of a year one for Brian Kelly in Baton Rouge. A heck of a year. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on the Vice Chancellor of ERATH, Martin. Good morning, sir. How are you? <laughs> Boy, have you heard from that Yankee-loving Paul uh, this morning yet? No. You're, you've been listening to the show. You know we haven't heard from Paul yet. Oh, he's probably crying tears of them. And you know me. I went to that, uh, to y'all birthday bash. I told him since the beginning of the year when he was saying that his Yankees are going to win the World Series. I said, Paul, Yankees ain't good enough to get past the Astros. All them Yankees fans are all asking the wrong team who's their daddy. They should ask the Astros who's their daddy because the Astros are definitely their daddy. So, uh... But I think that's not why I call. Well, partially the reason. Well, that, uh, Mark, time out, time out. As you, you say that's not why I called, but that's what you let off your phone call with is throwing shade well, at your yeah. bud. But now, I will say this. At the beginning of the football season, the college football season, I would have said that LSU had zero chance to beat Bama. But, yes, Bama's defense played a lot better against Mississippi State. It's still kind of vulnerable, like you're saying, but that is a bad Mississippi State team that they play. And watching all their games this season, if there's one thing that Alabama has trouble defending, that's a mobile quarterback. That's why Tennessee gave us, you know, beat us because their quarterback's mobile. You know, they struggle to, to contain them in the pocket. Uh, I think LSU has a good chance, you know, to hang with Alabama now. Could they beat them? I don't know. But, I mean, this LSU team that showed up the last couple of weeks scares the, 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 the heck out of me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, now, is Tennessee as good as people portraying them to be? No. I do not think. Because who was it they played this week at UT? Uh, UT Martin. They played this? Yes. They put up 24 points on that. De- their defense is horrible. Okay. Alabama put up 40-somewhat points on that defense. That's what's going to kill them in the long run. Now, if they do get lucky and they do beat Georgia, I don't. It, 
like true sports fans, sports fans know it's very, very, very hard to beat beat Nick Saban twice. Well, that's what you're pulling for, though, Martin. If you're a Bama fan, you want Tennessee to beat Georgia so Tennessee can play in the SEC championship. Well, me being a Bama fan, to hush all the LSU fans, I want to beat the best of the best. You know, I think, you know, I'd rather play Georgia. That way, if we do beat Georgia, we can say we beat the best of the best because all I hear all the time is Alabama has a cake schedule. Alabama has a cake schedule. What people fail to realize last season, we played Georgia three times in the same season. LSU has never done that. But, like I say, I'm giving LSU a little bit more credit. This team has come a long way in in, in a season's time. And like I said, don't count LSU out. I mean, they're they, they going to scare Alabama. And could they possibly beat them? Yeah. Alabama got to show up. They got to clean up uh, the, the the penalties, and they got to come and play dif- uh, um, – got to play discipline. And Will Anderson. And he still needs to show up. I ain't seen hardly anything from him this year. All right, and, bud. Uh, I got to let you go. I got to let you go. Yes, Appreciate sir. the phone Thanks call. taking my call. Go Astros. Vice, Vice Chancellor V. Rath, very own Martin, calling in. Strohs advance to their fourth World Series in six years. LSU gets a big win over Ole Miss. Signature win for Brian Kelly as they take down a top 10 ranked Ole Miss Rebels team. And now they head into the bye 6-2 and two overall as they welcome in Alabama to Death Valley a week from Saturday. But we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk a little Raging Cajuns. Whew, I was on hand for this one. They just balled out of control. Hannah was there as well. She took money from her grandma. Her grandma's an Arkansas State fan, so had to take, had to take, mo- had to take money from her. As the Cajuns rolled the Red Wolves, it wasn't very close. And the Cajuns are now starting to turn things around as well as they're 4-3 on the season, heading into a game at Southern Miss on Thursday. We'll talk about that coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and The Game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes. Look, we know you're spending a lot of money on Halloween candy. I know I am. And then it's Thanksgiving. You got to buy the bird. You got to buy all the sides. The wife and I had to figure out what we're going to cook for Thanksgiving this year. Had to put up together the menu, the early draft of the menu. All that costs money. You don't have maybe enough money you'd like to spend it on your lady. That's how, that's why you should become a member of our clubhouse. Because once you do, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes. We got a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse. Your wife, your lady is going to enjoy a night at Mr. Lester Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou. There's a $50 gift certificate in there to have Cheryl Oyster House. You're going to enjoy that as well. And a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score these great prizes 
if you become a member of the game clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. What are you waiting for? It's free and it's easy. Just saying. Louisiana Raging Cajuns put on a show, an absolute show, Saturday night at Cajun Field. Ben Woolridge tied a program record with most passing touchdowns in a single game with five. That ties in with Andre Nunez from 2018 and Jake DeLome from 1996. They ran the ball effectively. They played great defense. And they just dominated the Arkansas State Red Wolves. It was the most lopsided margin in one of these games between these two rivals since, I think, 1995, I do believe. Uh, I have to look that up. 1995 or 1998. It's been a hot minute. And the Cajuns are starting to play like we thought they would. It takes time to turn things around. It takes time for a team to build chemistry, in particular, the offensive line. It takes time. It just does. And... They're finally starting to play at a high level. The Cajuns improved to 4-3 and three overall, now 2-2 two and two in the Sun Belt Conference after winning at Marshall on the road and then defeating Arkansas State. They'll play at Southern Miss Thursday night. Short turnaround there in Hattiesburg. But, man, if they get that win on Thursday, then they're 5-3, and three, right back in the hunt for a bowl game. And just a few weeks ago, it seemed like that could be Something that was going to be way too difficult. Honestly, that's what it looked like for a little while. Now, Coach Dez, he has been the steady hand here. He knew this team was going to go through some growing pains. He knew it was going to take a while. But really, you've seen how they've progressed. They looked better against ULM. But it had a, gave up a couple of big plays that made the difference in that ball game. They looked better against South Alabama, came up just short. But then they looked better, won the game on the road at Marshall. By the way, Marshall just beat James Madison this past weekend. And then they beat Arkansas State, looking the most complete they have all season long. And Coach Des shared his thoughts on what his quarterback was able to do out there and what his offense in general was able to do Saturday night against the Red Wolves. Sounds like it was pretty good. No, I mean, you know, you, you go out there and you watch it live and, and you know, it, you expect your quarterbacks to play well. You know, you expect them to go out there and go operate the offense, but Ben's just done it at, at a different level the last couple of weeks, and he's really, you know, really played great football for us. You know, it, it's – you're going to see the tape, and we're going to see things, and there's going to be things that he did great. There's going to be things that he's going to want to do better, uh, and we'll certainly work on those things. But anytime you throw five touchdowns, I mean, it took me about a whole year to do that whenever I played. So – uh, that's a pretty good night. I think the fact that we're throwing, you know, 10 different receivers with catches, I think it speaks to the depth that we have on the offensive side of the ball in the skill positions uh, from running back, receiver, tight end. Uh, you know, and I've said this from the beginning, the design of this offense when we put this thing together was we wanted every single person to be an option uh, on most plays, right? You know, there's a couple where you, you have some things you got to run off and do that. But when the quarterback just – the defense is going to dictate where the ball has to go. All right, every defense, their soft spots in, unless you just play press man all the way across the board, you cover everybody down, 
then it's one-on-ones. But when they play zone defense, the defense dictates where the ball goes. When the quarterback does his job and does it really well, you're going to have the opportunity to feed the ball to different people. And I thought our guys did a phenomenal job tonight of making plays on the ball, clutch plays, critical situations, you know, things that earlier in the year we just we weren't making those plays we are now. And Ben was a huge part of that. Ben was a huge part of that, and you can tell he's very comfortable in that role. Had over 300 yards passing, 316 yards to be exact, five touchdowns. And 10 different wide receivers, 10 different receivers caught the ball. He's able to spread the ball around. And you also notice how much better the offensive line has gotten. They've gotten healthy. And remember, three of the starting offensive linemen right now, by the way, didn't practice in the spring. Coach Des talked to about uh, talked about that in the post game, and that matters because it takes a while to build chemistry across the offensive line. It just does. That's the one position on the field where you just can't just go right out there, because you're dealing with everyone else. You're dealing with a guy beside you, right? In some instances, guys on both sides of you. So you, you have to develop that chemistry. You have to develop that bond. It takes a while, and it seems like the Cajuns' offensive line is starting to figure it out. really is. Multiple wide receivers, 10 different receivers, and Woolridge talked about how awesome is it to have that many options out there no matter what is going on in the game. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I think I touched on it last week. Our receiver room is deep. We got studs in there. Um, our tight end room is deep. We got awesome tight ends um, right at Y with Johnny, um, H with Neil and Pierce. Um, and it makes us very multiple on offense. We can go 11 personnel and 12 personnel and shoot even some 13 personnel. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's just, uh, it's awesome to have weapons like that. And it's just also dudes in the backfield. Um, our running backs do a great job getting out of the backfield and then catching the ball, making plays after they catch it. And also protection. I think to be a college running back, to know your protection rules and to know who you got to block, it's one of the biggest jobs you can have. Ben is a very humble dude. Like it, you, you talk to him. We even tried to give him numerous like just softball questions just to let him just kind of hit it out of the park. And he does not like to brag on himself. He's not braggadocious by any stretch of the imagination. And And we asked him, like, look, He's coming off a performance where he threw for 316 yards and five touchdown passes, right? That's a big deal. And we just straight up asked him, Ben, you know, is your head spinning right now with these past two wins and throwing five touchdowns? And this is what he had to say. I don't think my head's spinning. I think it's just doing my job for the team. Obviously, there's definitely some plays out there that I can put, do better on um, just off the top of my head, but... I think our receivers played great tonight. O-line did an incredible job, and our backs did an, a very good job. Um, our state had a complex defense. They kind of disguised their looks pretty well. So going into it, um, we know that we were going to get some pressure on um, first and second down, and then third down they had a complex 3-3-5, three, three, uh, third and long package that we kind of had a really good plan for. But, yeah, it was just kind of doing my job for the team, just doing my one eleventh, and I think that's what it comes down to. Humble. Nothing he even told us. He didn't even realize he threw five touchdowns until he got into the locker room. So, leader, locked in, humble. 
I think the Cajuns got their guy. I I don't think you're going to see Chandler Fields back on the field again. It's not a knock on Chandler. It's not to say that Chandler is not a leader and that he's not a, a very good quarterback because I think he has the potential to be. But this team is a little bit different with Ben Woolridge under center. He's a little bit bigger, and that's not a knock on Chandler, but he's a little bit taller, which means he can see the field better. He can see his wide receivers running their routes. He can throw to a spot because the offensive line's not blocking his vision. That's that's part of it. It just is. And the kid is cool as can be. Another big thing that came out of this game was the defense. We talked about the running game, talked about the offense line, talked about Ben Woolridge looking amazing. Got to give some love to the defense. By the way, Arkansas State, a bit it was with a backup quarterback playing because their starter was injured. Went 0 for 11 on third down conversions. Jordan Quibido, one of the big captains, leaders on the defense, talked about what they were able to do defensively against the Red Wolves offense. Nah, yeah, that, that was really exciting. I mean, starting off the week, you know, not, not looking ahead, but we knew, you know, coming out of last week, you know, the confidence, that was, that was a big confidence game, I think, for the whole team. But defensively, we knew, you know, with this week finishing, going into a five-day turnaround, you know, we had to put a, a good product on film, and we put an emphasis on that at the beginning of the week, and it paid off for us. Now they have a quick turnaround. Have to go play Southern Miss, old school rival, back in the days when Brian Mitchell was playing for the Cajuns and Brett Favre was playing for Southern Miss. They used to play each other all the time. Now they get to go play at the Rock. That's what they call Hattiesburg their home stadium for Southern Miss. And Coach Dez talked about the quick five-day turnaround. But, uh, you know, a five-day turnaround is one of those deals where everyone has got to be at their best to the man uh, from top to bottom. And so, you know, that's a challenge that we, uh, we certainly we, we embrace, and we're, we're going we're gonna to work hard this week to, to keep this thing rolling and try to go get another one next week. Benefiting the Cajuns is a fact, you know, they let Ben sit for what most of the fourth quarter, I do believe. They pulled him out of the game. They pulled out some of the other starters, and they let backups get in. We got to see Zion Chris for the first time. Zion McDonald also played. So you, the benefit that you have here in a lopsided victory is your guys didn't get injured. They got some time off during the game as they prepare for the Thursday game. So they go into Hattiesburg. They get a win. They become 5-3. and three. And the Sun Belt is absolutely bananas. It is wide open. It's wide open. Every weekend you look at the results and you go, what? They did what? Who won? It's just absolutely chaos that could benefit the Cajuns. But they got the win to get back above 500. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to shift gears back to the LSU Tigers. We'll talk about that huge signature win over Ole Miss for Brian Kelly and company with Jeff Palermo of Tiger Rag Radio. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. 
Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, the momentum really shifted there. You know, the, the interception was probably the biggest play um, because they were threatening to score in that situation. We felt like, okay, that was the first time where we got any extension in the game from them because it was score, score, score. That was probably the, the one big play in the game that gave us the ability to, to, you know, obviously pull away a little bit from them. So that was a huge play. And, you know, the pressure obviously had a lot to do with that. So the pressure, he puts it up, um, and we were able to get the big interception. Talking about the interception from the Arkansas transfer who was hobbled a little bit earlier this season, finally making plays and made a play to help seal the game Saturday as LSU comes from behind yet again and this time crushes the face of Ole Miss, who was ranked in the top ten. To recap the action as our friend from Tiger Rag Radio, Mr. Jeff Palermo, joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How about yourself, Raymond? I'm doing great, bud. So I got a question for you. All right, you ready? I think so. Okay. So this is courtesy of one of our uh, uh, diehard listeners, Hart, on Twitter says, at uh, RP3 Sports, I need your help, Ray. I put out an APB missing persons report, called authorities, and even put up flyers, but still have yet to find one of the people who were calling for Brian Kelly's job two weeks ago. They have just vanished out of thin air. <laughs> kind of funny how that works. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, um, you know, and then uh, all, all this—it's uh, kind of died down, right? From uh, the Notre Dame perspective, uh, looks like the the Fighting Irish would love to have a guy like Brian Kelly back. Um, yeah, yeah, he's so. not—they're not doing too well up there <laughs> in, in, in South Bend, Indiana, these days. No, no, and uh, you know, now he. And just wait—I mean, he—he's still going to build the talent here, and he, he'll. It, right now, I, I would imagine that the program is not where he he wants it just yet, as far as talent wise. So let's wait and see where where he's at um, when he does have some talent and and how he can coach him up. But right now, his you know Matt House, the defensive coordinator. Um, I mean, what this guy does game in and game out, where uh, they're able to make some adjustments and just shut teams down in the second half is is something impressive. Um, I mean, it's, um, and it was interesting to hear coach Brian Kelly say that on Saturday, they basically overthought it too much. You know, they're trying to cover up weaknesses and instead they're, they're hurting themselves even more. So let's just go out there and play, put their best 11 players on the field, get Harold Perkins out there as much as possible and let these guys just go out there and make plays. And it, uh, it benefited them. And, uh, holding Ole Miss to just – and I understand the Rebels were down one of their good running backs, but still they held that team down to just three yards rushing for a team that was known to uh, have a lot of success running the football this season. And they're doing this with a defense that really doesn't feature a ton of future first-round picks, and especially in the secondary. I mean, the front seven, they're all there, but the secondary has been pieced together by guys from – Arkansas and McNeese and UL, right? And they're still able to do what they do defensively, which is impressive to me. Perkins, that's somebody that they have to get on the field more, right? Because every time they put him out there, he makes plays. 
Yeah, and then how about Lane Kiffin and his post-game comments on Saturday saying uh, he was a difference maker for them, and they knew eventually once they got him on the field all the time that his his offense would struggle. So, yeah, I think it's uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious that you got to have this guy on the field because he's a playmaker. Uh, Micah Baskerville is a playmaker. Uh, B.J. Ojolari is a playmaker, and the front seven has been good, has been fantastic. Um, you know, how about Makai Wingo, too, at, oh, yeah. on the defensive line? I mean, you know, when Mason Smith goes down, every, uh, there's just all this, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, he, he's supposed to be one of your better defensive players, and I think he's been a, a unsung hero for this defensive unit because he's filled in, and there hasn't been a huge drop-off there at all. If, if if there's been any kind of a drop-off. I'm also seeing a team offensively that can run the football now, and I know that a large part of that has to do with the fact that their offensive line is starting to come together. You're starting to see Will Campbell just really flourish as he was already their best offensive lineman, but this is a guy that looks like an all-conference type of player, even as a true freshman. Offensive line has progressed very nicely over the last month. Well, and they've done it, too, here without Garrett Dellinger the last couple of weeks, which is even more impressive, that they finally have been able to find something there, and it has performed well. You know, now there's there's times that Jaden's still getting pressured. I think he was sacked four more times, if I recall correctly, on Saturday. So there's times that he's he's still facing some pressure, but I, I still feel a big reason or a part of the reason why he's looked so much more comfortable here the last couple of weeks is that he's trusting his protection more. You're now able to get some sort of a semblance of a running game where it's, you're not completely relying on Jaden Daniels to get all your rush yards. Josh Williams has, has really emerged. Uh, you get Amani Goodwin back. Uh, John Emery, did not play in the game against Ole Miss, but they don't think his injury is too serious. He he aggravated something during warmups, so I think they're expecting him back for the Alabama game in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, th- this offense to put up 45 points in consecutive weeks. I mean, it's hard to complain, hard to find anything to complain about how uh, how they're performing. Not as many g- deep shots this week, uh, Raymond, but still they they hit on a big one when uh, Jaden Daniels threw it up there for Jare Jenkins, and he made a great play on the ball and got in the end zone and for the Tigers' first touchdown of the game, and they were off and running after that. He's also completing passes to numerous different wide receivers. Everyone had at least two catches except for one player, and they're spreading the wealth, and it just seems like the wide receiving core and Daniels are on the same page. Maybe that, I don't know, players-only meeting they had a few weeks ago actually worked. Well, it's uh, eight player, eight different receivers, I believe, caught a pass on Saturday. I, I, I think it, it did. And, and, again, I just think, um, and I, I've said this on a, a couple of different outlets and even on Tiger Rag Radio on Tuesday nights, that this just it, it just needed some time for it to develop. Um I mean, you go back to it, uh, Jaden Daniels is in his first spring. Um, he's splitting reps. You don't have Kayshawn Booty out there during the spring. You come into the fall, you're splitting reps. Remember, Miles Brennan is even taking some of those reps. So 
for at least the first week of preseason camp. And these things just take time with a new offensive coordinator and totally new coaching staff. Obviously, question marks on the offensive line and trying to figure out who's the right five guys there. So it just it just took time. That's And I'm sure the players' meeting was part of it. But maybe the biggest thing in this is that you you have a you have a bunch of talented players, you have a new coaching staff, and it just took time for it to to completely mesh and and now we're seeing it. Now it's 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 kind of hard to imagine that this offense is not going to be able to put up um, you know at least twenty five points a game. We're talking with Jeff Palermo, the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, which you can listen to every Tuesday right here on the game. All right, bud. Six and two now, ranked back in the top 25 yet again. Uh, I, I got to get your thoughts. Uh, it's our, actually our poll question of the day. Uh, the The fans stormed the field for beating yeah. Ole Miss. And I, I've heard from a lot of Tiger fans over the weekend since that happened. Some are like, hey, it was cool. We got to storm the field. It was a big win. And others are like, Dude, we're LSU. Like, what are we doing here? Why are we storming the field? We're not Clemson. We're, we, 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 what are we doing? What did you make of the fans deciding to storm the field after a win over Ole Miss? Well, it's, it's just a thing to do, Raymond. It, it really is. And you, and you watched the scene uh, a couple of weeks ago in Knoxville when Tennessee knocked off Alabama. And obviously, anybody will tell you that that was warranted to go ahead and storm the field. But you're yeah, just, 15 years I of mean, losing to one of your arch rivals. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, if you're if you're a student uh, at LSU and you see that and you say, that looks pretty cool. You know, I, I'd like to do that one day. You, you take your chance when you beat seventh ranked Ole Miss, because there's, there's no chance that you could potentially do it uh, in two weeks against Alabama. So I don't know. I, I mean, there's going to be, you have to realize this wasn't 30, 30 year old, 40 year old, 50 year old men running out onto the, or, and women running out on the field. These were, you know, 18 to 22 year olds that were out there enjoying a Saturday afternoon, wanted to celebrate the victory. I know fans are getting upset about it. I, I mean, let's, I don't know. There's, there's worse things to, in the world that are happening <laughs> to really get, I think... to get mad about it. I mean, yeah, you, you want to act like you've been there before. You shouldn't, but Hey, this is the second time now in the last 10 years that the, the, the fans have, um, rush the field after beating Ole Miss. So it's, it is a rivalry game. It is a big game. I mean, the Rebels were number seven in the country. This was a big recruiting game. Uh, you know, when it comes to the world of recruiting with Lane Kiffin trying to really build something big there in Oxford, and Brian Kelly said, uh, you know, not so fast. Uh, LSU is still uh, your daddy or your older brother, or whoever, however you want to put it, uh, however you want to do it. So uh, if the students wanted to go out there on the field and celebrate that, uh, hey, uh, I, I'm a, I, I have no problem. Uh, you're telling on yourself. Someone used to storm the field back in his college days. That's what you're really trying no, to tell well, me now. No, 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 no. Well, um, ah. no, because my college didn't had the worst, lo longest losing streak. Uh, during, I went to Northern Illinois, and at one point we had an 18-game losing streak. And the game that they eventually won, the weather was so bad, you just wanted to go back to your dorm room. So, I mean, it was just uh, – anyway, so no, I, I've never no done No storm the in the field thing, for, but... for, uh, for your time with the Huskies, <laughs> bud, no? Okay. 
<laughs> I understand. I understand. Buddy, always appreciate your time. Enjoy Tiger Rag Radio this week. We'll talk to you next Monday for Bama Week, my friend. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Raymond. We got to take a time out. We'll wrap up our number two. That's all coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. What do you think of LSU storming the field on Saturday? You heard Jeff Palermo. He begrudgingly said, hey, it's okay if that's what you want to do. 48% of you say you hated it. You're LSU. 40% say so-so. It's Ole Miss. 12% say loved it. Big time victory. Let's get to some more comments. Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie, says, The Astros are undefeated in the postseason, beat the Yankees four times in the postseason, have a rookie ALCS MVP, and partied with rooms in the locker room. But LSU fans acting like they won the championship. Anyway, is the gif. Ooh, it's a little smoky from, from, from Mr. Green. Joe Cola says, Didn't like it. It's Ole Miss. However, this should but won't silence the BK critics. He was the right hire at the right time. He's getting a team with not much SEC talent to play their butts off and showing some consistency. The culture is changing. Jacques Wallace says, let the students have fun because the players are the ones that waved to them to come on the field. It was more of a walk onto the field and not a storm. Lil Neff says, the world of copycats. Eric says Clemson stored the film after beating number 14 Syracuse. Yeah, I don't like that either, by the way. <laughs> but Clemson's goofy, man. They're just goofy. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if it's a Dabo thing or whatever it is. It's a little goofy over there in South Carolina. By the way, South Carolina Gamecocks beat Texas A&M. They're ranked in the top 25. Shane Beamer's doing a nice job in Columbia, South Carolina, by the way. We got to take a timeout. Keep those votes coming for the poll question of the day. We'll keep sharing your comments throughout today's show. Hour number two is done. Hour number three is coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. You know, you find out about a person when they don't get enough sleep. You find out just how absolutely goofy-tastic they can become and delirious. And that's what I'm finding out behind the scenes this morning here with the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. Struggling with her hoodie, the hood part, which is causing her pain, and ranting about stamps because why not? Anyway... We'll let the crazy lady take a nap sometime today and get her back on track. That'd be great. It was a great weekend. <laughs> it was a great weekend across the board. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns at home at Cajun Field roll the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Five names gets money from her grandma. But I met her grandma and her mother at the game. 
came down before the end of the game, introduced myself, got to meet them. They're wonderful people, beautiful people. Um, I'm pretty sure Grandma takes those bets because she knows how bad her team is and makes sure that her granddaughter takes money from her. So I think that's probably what's going on with this bet because she didn't seem to be too upset about losing money to her granddaughter. No, but she did say she had a great time and that um, by the end of the game she hated the words, that's another Louisiana first down. She hated that. But I had Kenneth telling her they're there. They're there. Every time we get a touchdown or first down. It's fine. She loves me. She does she does love you. That's that's obvious. She got to sat yep. in the sta- uh, sit in the stands and watch her team get obliterated by by your team. So that tells you how much she loves you. I mean, just think about it. What if Jaden Daniels didn't transfer to Hellas shoe? Be very different. We were talking about the Cajuns and your grandmother, but if we want to transition over to Jaden Daniels, yeah. Transferring to LSU, I, we can do that, sure. We can also fold in some, you know, <laughs> why are they called forever stamps if you'd like? Or bungalows. I train of thought on the tracks this morning. Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> Somebody needs a nap. Maybe time to train the intern extraordinaire Moses Campos to take over this show. Let somebody have a nap. Yes, a, a what if scenario. Let's go down that rabbit hole. I guess I that, that's because that's on the rundown of things to talk about. No, I'm dumb, and I. <laughs> just, Wait, just so stop. You type in Jaden Daniels says ASU. So I went to just Arkansas State. Just stop. <laughs> just stop. Just stop. Just 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 sit back, put your hood on, and just sit there and, and press the buttons. Hopefully, the the right ones. Okay. That's uh, that's what's happening today. Delirium and giggles now have taken over in the producer's booth. We'll see if we can get through the final hour of RP3 and company. <laughs> Maybe a little hit and miss. Just to let you know. <laughs> Woo! Cajuns, your big winners. They improved to four and three. And look, we've seen the progression here with the Raging Cajuns under Coach Desk. Lots of people had their pitchforks and their torches out, wanting to run him out of town. Thought he was a terrible hire. They had to settle. Why are they settling? Blah, blah, blah. He's a bad coach and everything else. And we heard a lot of that about Coach Dez. We also heard a lot about that about Brian Kelly. Uh, I I told you all to be patient. I I know fans are not patient. I I get it. I understand the word fan is derived from fanatic. I understand there's nowhere where there's patience involved. I, I get that. But when guys take over programs, you have to give them time. We've seen what's happening with the Raging Cajuns, that the offensive line is starting to come together. Once again, they had four guys not take part in spring across our offensive line. New offensive line, you have to have reps. You have to have time. And you're starting to see them kind of gel. And they were able to run the football and have that offensive explosion against Arkansas State, by the way, without their All-American Chris Smith. He didn't play. Still banged up. So they were still able to be wildly effective in this ball game, even in spite of not having Chris Smith. So you're seeing the offensive line starting to come together for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Ben Woolridge, since being thrust into the starting lineup, 
for the Marshall game. He's won back-to-back games. He's developing a rapport with Dante Fleming, who had two touchdowns, including a 55-yarder. And you're seeing it. And you're seeing a development, and you're seeing a chemistry, and you're seeing Ben really take command, seize control of this offense. He sees the entire field. He's spreading the ball around to multiple wide receivers and tight ends. If they can start building even some more momentum, because the Sun Belt is wide open. We think we know who's good. We really have no idea. It's all over the place. We think James Madison's the best team, and then they lose to Marshall. We think Coastal Carolina's the best team. They lose Old Dominion. We think the Cajuns are the best team out of the West. They lose to ULM. Like, you just can't get a handle on things because the conference is really talented but also wildly all over the place. But the Cajuns get to four and three. They can build up some more momentum, win three in a row on Thursday when they have to go to play at the Rock. Southern Miss, Golden Eagles in Hattiesburg on Thursday night. The LSU Tigers, meanwhile, they did what they've been doing a lot this year, coming back and beating SEC competition after being down by two touchdowns. Did so against Mississippi State. That was at home. Did so against Auburn. That was on the road. And then did so Saturday night in Death Valley when they were down 17-3 to Ole Miss, nationally ranked undefeated in the top 10. And they just went on an absolute run. Defense made their adjustments, shut down Ole Miss's rushing attack. And won easily. Won easily. And now they're improved to 6-2. and two. Got the bye week. Got Alabama coming to town. And even if they lose to Bama, and Bama's vulnerable, and the way LSU's playing, the way Jane Daniels has been playing the last couple of weeks, you definitely have to give LSU a chance in that game. But let's say they lose that game. They're far better than Arkansas, UAB, and Texas A&M. They could win their last three games and end up being a nine-win regular season team in year one of Brian Kelly, who took over a program that had 39 scholarship players and had a wide receiver starting in the bowl game at quarterback. Heck of a job by both men. You just got to be patient. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. Welcome on Randy to the show. Randy, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Well, good morning. Yeah, uh, you know, along the lines of the coaches, we know that some people fly off the handle after one loss. And when you go back to that Florida State game, that was a weak Florida State team, and LSU was terrible. The difference between, say, a Brian Kelly and a Napier at this point is looking at Daniels. Daniels was awful in that first game, and now he looks a whole lot better, and he has been getting better and better and better. Whereas Richardson at Florida is not getting any better. He's terrible. He can't hit the broad side of a barn, and Napier's still sticking with him. So the Gators fans are all up in arms about him right now. And, you know, after as many games as they've lost that they shouldn't have because of terrible quarterback play, sooner or later you expect the coach to make an adjustment or do something. Brian Kelly did that. When you look at what Jaden Daniels is doing now, he is so much better. And I agree with you. I think Daniels is the better the better quarterback. And I also think that you're starting to find something really working 
right? With Daniels on the offense, he's going through his progressions. He's a little bit more disciplined in the pocket. And the offensive line is getting better as well, right? I think that's the other part of that is that Brian's getting Jaden to buy into the offense. He's settling in. And he's also developing a rapport with the wide receivers where, hey, you know what? Ten different guys can catch the ball. And that gives them a, a distinct advantage. And Jaden's just not tucking and running it. That's the other part. We saw that in the Florida State game, Randy, is that, oh, it, 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 he got off his first read and then it was boom, I'm gone, right? He just he goes and just running for, the, running for his life. He's becoming a more complete quarterback. And a lot of that has to do with how they're calling the games and what Brian Kelly's doing with him. Yeah, I mean, in that Florida State game, it seemed like sometimes he didn't even look for the first read. He just no. took off running. I mean, it was it was bad. And there are a lot of things that were bad in that first game, but when you look at the overall play of this team, the most dramatic improvement is with the quarterback. And that's why I think, you know, I don't know that Brian Kelly's going to be able to win a championship here. You never know. It's going to be a long time before we'll know that. But all the people that were up in arms about fire him, fire him, fire him, uh, I think we've seen what his, you know, his real ability is now and his ability to adjust, improve, and coach these guys up. I agree. Appreciate the phone call, Randy. I hope you enjoy your day, brother. Thank you. Good morning. So good weekend for LSU, good weekend for UL on the college front. Of course, we've already been talking a lot about it was a great weekend for the Houston Astros as they take games three and then yesterday take game four over the New York Yankees to complete the sweep of the ALCS, celebrate in the Bronx, and they're heading to their fourth World Series in six years. Game one will be Friday at Minute Maid Ballpark. Times will be released today, but you can listen to that game on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Astros haven't dropped a game this postseason. They're trying to take on the Philadelphia Phillies, who have just simply gone on the road, defeated the St. Louis Cardinals, eliminated the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves, and then took out the San Diego Padres in five games. And they got some pitchers. They got Wheeler. They got another former LSU star in NOLA. It's going to be a very competitive and one heck of a World Series. By the way, the last time the Astros lost a game was in the regular season home series finale when they lost to, wait for it, the Philadelphia Phillies. It wasn't as good of a weekend for our friends in Lake Charles as McNeese looked like they were going to get their second win of the season and their first win in conference play. Deontay McMahon had a career-high four touchdowns in the game, including three in the third quarter. And the Cowboys held a lead in this ballgame on the road against the Nichols Colonels, only to see the Colonels rally late in the ballgame and defeat them 40-35. to Tough loss for McNeese as they dropped to 1-6 overall and 0-3 in Southland Conference play. And Coach Gary Goff gave his thoughts about the performance that Deontay McMahon gave his team and what occurred in the final minutes of the ballgame. He had a great game. He had a great game. I, I still think, uh, you know, we, we came out um, and, you know, play di- didn't didn't start fast. You know, we, we started the game off slow. Um, then we had a great second quarter and really thought we had all the momentum. Uh, started fast in the third quarter. Um, and then it was just crucial turnover right there that really gave them momentum. It was a game of momentum. I mean, um, and, and they ended with momentum. But uh, I, I liked our chances right there at the end. Uh, when it's, you know, 40-35 and uh, we got the ball in the – 
24 yard line or, or really about 25 yard line and they, they said that we'd, we didn't get to the 24. Um, you know, have to watch film and see that. Um, but you, you know, if you can't get a yard right there, then you know, you don't deserve to win. They got the ball back and they were driving with less than four minutes to play. They faced third and 19 at the Nichols 44 and the Cowboys would be called for delay of game, but a Nichols defensive lineman didn't stop playing hit Knox Kadem from behind drawing a personal foul that gave McNeese a first down at the 34 yard line. But Kadem appeared to injure his shoulder and had to come out of the game. And Ryan Roberts replaced him. They got it down to the 25-yard line. It's fourth and one. And they were unable to pick up the play. Colonels got the ball back, was able to run out the clock. It's a tough loss for McNeese because that's a game they were just this close to winning. And now Coach Gary Goff's going to have to get his team up off the mat and get them to believe that they can still win games. Once again, this was always going to be a tough season. He is tearing it down to the studs, so to speak, to try to build this thing the right way instead of just piecemealing it together like they've been doing over the previous last three coaches there. So it's going to be a tough, tough, difficult, challenging, use whatever adjective you'd like here. It's going to be immense. But, man, this is a tough one to bounce back from, especially a game that they had, a win that they had on the road and let it slip through their hands. Let it slip through their hands. It's a tough one. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, great event to let you know about. We've been talking about it for a few days. It's the Realtor Association of Acadiana's annual gumbo cook-off at Park International. That's going to be this coming Wednesday to talk about it. It's going to be a few realtors that are going to be competing in it. By the way, all the proceeds go to charity as well. Three of them, in fact. To find out more, that's all going to be coming up next. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you or your contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a brand new fence, could be chain link, privacy fence, pool, gazebo, even a garden, it really doesn't matter. You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. So what happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there is an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service, and to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, reminds you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Coming up in about 
15 minutes from right now. Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast will join us to give his thoughts on the state of the Saints as they sit at 2-5, and five, yet they're only a game out of their division. We'll talk about all of that coming up next. But right now, it's time for us to talk about a great event. The Realtor Association of Acadiana is hosting its annual gumbo cook-off at Park International this Wednesday from 5 to 7 o'clock. It's a family-friendly event, Halloween costume contest, got live music, and of course, gumbo from 26 teams made up of area realtors who are competing to earn the title of best gumbo. Here's the best part about it. It goes to charity. Three great local charities, Maddie's Footprints, Habitat for Humanity, and Lane's Legacy. To talk more about this sensational event, we have our old friend Christy from Next Home Cutting Edge Realty, as well as Susan Holiday, the CEO of the Realtor Association of Acadiana. Susan, Christy, good morning and welcome. Morning. Morning. Thank you for having us. Let's talk about this event because I've attended a few times, all transparency. My wife is a real estate agent. I thoroughly enjoy it because I'm a large man, so I get to eat a bunch of gumbo. <laughs> okay. So that's why I get, but it also goes to a great cause. Let's talk about the charities. I know you guys go through a cycle, right? There's every few years you pick three different charities to donate the proceeds to. Walk us through that process, and why is it so important to have an event like this to benefit three area charities? Well, one is that the the members want to give back to the community. I mean, they they work, live here, and they want our communities better. And and you're right, we go through a, a process. It's like an RFP process, which this is going to be the last year that we give to these three charities. And so what we normally do is we have an events committee, and anybody, any charity, nonprofit can solicit to be the charities for the next cycle. And so we do an RFP, and we let the representatives come in, tell us what they do with the money, why the money is needed, and then our members are the ones that select the charities. Tell us a little bit about the three charities in general, what they're all about. So Maddie's Footprints is actually, um, it's about 12-year-old organization. It, they've been part of it for about six years. It was started by a local realtor, uh, Lori McGrew, and it's for uh, helping with um, funeral expenses um, and burial expenses and um, grief counseling for people who lose a child. Uh, infant loss and so it's a very um, it's a serious matter and it's something that um, we care deeply about one because of Lori Lori lost her child when um, she was pregnant and so she started this charity and so we've been supporting them for a long time Habitat for Humanity I mean it fits uh, our mission perfectly it provides housing for low-income people um, and then Lane's legacy is actually was another realtor um, who unfortunately lost her child to bone cancer. And so the money raised helps other children with bone cancer. So you have this event that benefits three charities. And look, the, the thing that always stands out to me about the Acadiana region is anytime there's an opportunity to help raise funds for a charity, it seems like everyone comes out of the woodwork. Everyone puts aside personal grievances or anything like that. It's just like, hey, this is for a great cause. You know, your realtors here locally don't have to do this, right? They don't have to take part in this. They could just focus on selling real estate, yet they choose to. And you have 26 different teams that are taking part in that. What does that say about what you guys are doing here locally with real estate and with the real estate agents here in this area that you have 26 teams? 
Well, look, realtors, um, if the if your audience doesn't know, it is one of the most giving professions of anybody. If you look historically of other professions, realtors give more time than probably anybody else. And so it's probably because that's what they do. They give to their clients. And so um, and just last Friday, we had a blood drive, and the blood drive succeeded far our expectations. The people there were kind of exhausted when they left because, um, I mean, we had a line of people. We had, you know, the beds were full. And so that's just who they are. They're very giving. And so to ask them to come together and cook gumbo and all and to raise money for charity, it's it's right up their alley. Christy, I want to throw it to you because I know you've been involved in this and you get very enthusiastic about uh, the team and about winning. You're a competitive person. <laughs> just, just, just just a little, little bit. bit. Just a little bit. Uh, what does it mean to you to have Next Home and have your team be part of this as well? You know, it's really a, a, a great day. It's a family event. Um, our whole office comes out year after year. It's been two years since we've had this event, I believe. Um, so we're excited to bring it back to the community. And it's a great opportunity for the public to come out, our friends, our family, our clients, and to all kind of celebrate together and raise money for a good cause. Let's talk about the event because obviously the Gumbo Cook-Off is part of it and everyone competes against it. But it's also, you have so much else going on as well. You have live music, you have a costume contest. You know, you could easily just had it as a gumbo cook-off, but you guys have made this a big family-friendly event. Tell us about everything that's gonna be coming uh, going on Wednesday evening, and why was it so important to add these other things as well? Well, we wanted to, of course, make it family friendly, and um, we thought it would be a good opportunity for the kids to kind of get an extra use out of their costume contest, out of their costume. <laughs> so it's like it's kind of like the prequel to Halloween. You know, get your get your costume, make sure you like it. You can come debut it here, get another wear out of it. Um, They're not cheap, by the way. No, I know, I know. And <laughs> just, so just to let you know. So we're we're looking for. We hope that all the kids um, do get dressed up. Any children under ten get, come free. We'll do the costume contest probably around six thirty. We have prizes for them, and we have a gift for every kid that comes oh, and is wow. dressed up. Yeah, we were we were stuffing some goodie bags last week, so that um, hopefully everybody will will be a winner, you know, of the costume contest. Um, it's just you know part of what we do. We we saw that it was going to be the week before. Um, Halloween so we're like well we'll let them come preview well all the booths are going to have some candy the kids can kind of trick-or-treat at the booths as well while their parents are eating some gumbo so so you get trick-or-treating get a costume contest for the kids once again tell the folks uh, how much does it cost uh, for the tickets and where they can get more information about the event so that it's ten dollars a person under 10 is free for children um, the event is 5 to 7 30 at the big park downtown okay. you can come to my office our office is located at 234 Rue Beauregard um, if you want to buy tickets in advance if not you can just show up we'll have plenty of tickets there's gonna be plenty of space and um, they can just come downtown just just to let you know i'll be there okay good so and if you just see me just randomly just just walking around in a daze don't be alarmed that's just me filling up on all the gumbo well and and like we haven't talked about the weather the weather is supposed to be amazing like the weather gods are smiling down on us this year i mean after this two-year hiatus i mean the fact that there's a little cold front coming through tomorrow and then it's supposed to be absolutely beautiful on Wednesday so everybody's gonna be in that gumbo weather as soon as the temperatures drop anywhere you know everybody's running to the store to get some roux chicken and sausage so don't worry about that just bring your family out Wednesday do we already have chicken and sausage in my refrigerator right now at my house yes 
Well, and yeah. we have some <laughs> just, people making some interesting gumbo. Somebody is, is doing a mixture of seafood and meat, which I am not sure how I feel about that. I keep but, seeing that everywhere, by the way. I keep seeing people take seafood gumbo and chicken and sausage gumbo, yeah. and they're mixing it together in one gumbo. I don't know how I feel about that. I, me neither. I'm kind of a purist. It's either got to be a seafood yes. or a meat, so I, I'm going to try it, and so we'll see. They might be successful. You never know. They might be the winners of the contest because they've come up with something new this year. Once again... It's for a great cause. It benefits three different charities. It's the Realtor Association of Acadiana's annual gumbo cook-off held at Park International. It's going to be this Wednesday. Thank you so much, Susan Christie, for stopping by. Best of luck with the event. It's going to be beautiful weather. And I once again, tons of people are going to come out, and it's going to be for a great cause. Thank you so much for y'all's time. No problem. Thank, Thank you. you. we got to take a time out when we return here on RP3 and Company. Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast will join us to talk all things Houdat. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. Begin the Camara. Breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Ross Jackson of the Locked on Saints podcast joins us now. Bud, I need to go ahead and address something. Uh, I just don't think we can get past it if I don't address it right now. Are you ready? I'm ready. ready. Okay. Um, You know, I'm nicknamed the big, bald, and beautiful one around here, and my producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, just informed me that the real big, bald, and beautiful one is now coming on to the show, and that's in reference to you. Um, How do you feel? Do you need to be referred to as the big, bald, and beautiful one? Um, listen, I, I very much appreciate that. I think if that was your title first, that should be your title, but I'm grateful to be a part of the big, bald and beautiful. Like maybe, maybe we are the big, bald and beautiful, not either of us individually. Listen to you, you, me, David, there's a, there's a group of us. (laughs) Uh, We're out here. Yeah. and, And yet, and yet you're the one that looks like you still could, you know, uh, drop 15 and, you know, have five dishes in a game in, in a pickup <laughs> game. Uh, the rest of us don't, don't look, don't look so hot, brother. Uh, You'll be lucky to get 15 of anything for me in a basketball <laughs> game that aren't fouls. That's, that's what you're <laughs> There we go. <laughs> All right, but let, let, let's talk about the saints team because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed and, and here's why, because this team has looked good in stretches, and they did so against Cincinnati and lost the game. They and they did so against Arizona and found a way to lose that game. And my bigger concern is I thought this team was going to be led by its defense. And I thought that defense wasn't going to be an issue because Dennis Allen was the head coach and he was the longtime coordinator, and that would be something that they wouldn't have to worry about that they improved at safety by bringing in Marcus May and and Tyron Matthew. Uh, But when I see this defense play, I see Paulson Adebo regress in year number two when I thought he was going to take a step. I see Tyron Matthew look like he's not interested in being there. I see Marshawn Lattimore, when he does play, with the exception of the Tampa game, not play well. I don't see pressure from the defensive line. Are you surprised by how bad the defense has looked compared to what we expect it to look like before the start of the season. Yeah, that's hands down the the biggest surprise so far of this 2022 season for the Saints. We thought that this defense was going to be a top five defense coming in because 
really wasn't that much changeover, right? Yeah, you had the two changes at safety, but as you mentioned, a lot of evidence that they might have actually upgraded at safety because of the amount of disguising and things like that that they wanted to be able to do. And then you come into the season with your defensive coordinator, now your head coach, your secondary's coach, your secondary coach and your defensive line coach still intact. They're your co-defensive coordinators. The majority of the defensive staff is still the same. I mean, we thought, and I think understandably so, that this would be a better unit coming into 2022. And and it simply hasn't been. I mean, they're 31st in the NFL right now in terms of points surrendered, uh, or at least they were before uh, mid midway through yesterday. Um, you know, they are an offense that's cooking in terms of, you know, top 10 on passing yards, passing touchdowns, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns. There's only uh, what? There's 14 teams in the NFL right now that don't average one passing touchdown a game. Forty four percent of the NFL. The Saints aren't in that category. They got 12 of them on the season. So the offense has actually been moving the ball pretty well. Now, as an offense, you can't give up 14 points. Um, you know, on pick sixes, right? The, you, you can't do that. But over on the defensive side, this hasn't been the defense that we expected. And up until this past game, injuries really haven't been a part of that story. You missed Marcus May for a little while. You missed Marshawn Lattimore for a little while, but that was really kind of it. Um, and then yesterday, or not yesterday, but this past week, when you're down Marshawn Lattimore, you're down Paul Sadebo, Bradley Roby goes down, and then all of a sudden your defensive line is giving up, you know, 40-plus yard rushes, 30-plus yard rushes to a third-string running back. That's not a very good uh, uh, recipe for success in, in any way. So it, it's been surprising to see how much this this unit has struggled. And how do you fix it? Because I mean, that that's the thing. Let's say they get healthy. Let's say you get Lattimore mm-hmm. back, you get a Debo back, okay, and, and Roby comes back, and, and that's great. And you finally get uh, whatever the corpse of Peyton Turner is, because I'm not for sure why he doesn't play. He's always injured or is a healthy scratch, which is a curious thing for a second-year guy. Right. How do you fix it, though? Because the missed tackling and the lack of guys being in the right place is what kind of stands out to me when I watch the tape. I go, ooh, wow, like – there's yep. times where I question effort, and I didn't think I would ever say that about a Saints defense. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a lot of uh, of fundamentals. I mean, honestly, you know, when we talk about what's going wrong with this New Orleans Saints team and talk about what it is that they need to fix or where it is that they can improve, we're oftentimes just talking about good football. We're talking about tackling. We're talking about being in the right position. We're talking about eye discipline. We're talking about generating turnovers in the defensive side. We're talking about uh, run fills. We're, we're talking about basic, not basic, but we're talking about fundamental stuff. Easier for me to say than for them to execute on the field in every case, right? But that's really what we're talking about. And we know that this New Orleans Saints defense has the ability to be that defense. They have the ability to play solid in their fundamentals and be able to win games because of that. So I really think that it's just about figuring out whether it be through coaching or whether it be through the on-field execution, how it is to get these things right and to start getting them right. The issue is that you don't have a lot of time left, two more losses in the season, depending upon how the NFC South goes, you're in a really, really bad situation for the remainder of your, you know, for your outlook, let's say it that way. And so I, I think that those are just things that they simply have to be able to get right. And so some of that could be, I mean, we've heard of them, I think it was back in 2017, where the defense was struggling early, so they re-engaged their approach to the defense. Some would say simplifying it. I don't know that that's necessarily actually what they did, but I guess it's the easiest way to explain it. They could look at doing something 
akin to that over the course of this weekend and this week, considering that they had the sort of mini buy, the long week in between their Thursday night game and then this coming uh, Sunday night or Sunday game against the Las Vegas Raiders. So maybe that's something that they're able to do during that time. But all in all, whatever adjustments they make, they have to be executed on the field and they have to be executed with effort. So that's where you hope Alvin Kamara addressing the team as a whole, not just the offense, but the team as a whole has its impact. You think he's going to make an impact there as the leader because someone needs to 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 step up there and kind of light a fire under this team because I also don't know and I, I look I know it's early and I'm not one to to throw the baby out with the bathwater okay mm-hmm. I don't know if the team responds to their head coach like I thought they would like I, I there are times where I say is there a disconnect here like is is there a disconnect between DA and the team. And I, the fact that Kamara stepped up, I like that. But when I hear DA talk in postgame pressers or Pete Carmichael talk in postgame pressers, they kind of say the same thing over and over again. And eventually you have to get to a point in the season, Ross, where you go, uh, okay, yeah, you, you keep saying the same things. What's wrong? Why, are, why aren't you fixing it? Like that's, that's I guess, the, the thing that surprises me because you, you didn't hear that from Sean. Like he was very right. blunt at times and was like, well <laughs> – we got to do a better job, and they're not doing the job, so I got to find somebody else that can. I'm not hearing that from DA. I don't, I don't hear a sense of urgency, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And we have to remember that what he says during postgame pressers isn't necessarily what he's saying to the players. That's right? correct. That's what he's saying. That's, that's correct. Saying, that's what he's saying to media. And so I think that there is probably an approach by Dennis Allen, who is being a little bit more cautious about not wanting to, uh, you know, potentially harm the relationship with a player by saying something out loud in a press conference or something like that. But look, he, he did, uh, you know, he hasn't harmed anything, but he's also been honest. I mean, he was honest about Peyton Turner and why he was a healthy scratch week two, because they wanted to see Tano passenger to see if they can get better play from the position. So he hasn't really had an issue with certain things like that, but I wonder if maybe that plays a little bit into it. I don't know. I can only speculate, but I don't assume that what he's telling us in the media is what he's saying to the players. So then that opens up the question, is the team actually responding to Dennis Allen? And if so, if they're playing the way that they're playing in response to Dennis Allen, then that makes you ask other questions at the end of the season, right? So you'll have to kind of see how this all plays out. But no matter what, someone on the field that is executing, that is out there trying to win games with his, you know, band of brothers, if you will, has to be a leader and also has to step up. And I love that Alvin Kamara was the one to do it because Alvin kind of has this reputation as the strong, silent type who leads by example, right? So when you have that that person in your friend group or that person at work that never gets mad, that never gets upset, then all of a sudden they do get mad, they do get upset. You kind of take that with a you know with with a larger uh, level of concern, right? Like you receive that differently. And so I love that it was Alvin Kamara who was the one that said, hey, we're not playing Saints football and demanding accountability of himself and the other players around him. So, you know, regardless of what's going on with the coach or what's going on in terms of the relationship with the coach, I think that having one of the players do something like that is eye-opening for the players and is probably eye-opening for the coaching staff as well. We're talking with Ross Jackson of the Locked on Saints podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company for the Big Easy Blitz. Jarvis Landry banged up Michael Thomas banged up that's playing a role in the offense but yet they still are finding ways to score points how concerned should Saints fans be about the injury to those two guys 
and the fact that I think it's it still going on. Yeah, I think it depends on if it goes beyond this week because some of it can be that it went into this week in a cautious way, knowing that you had the long break in between, right? Um, generally, if you can't return a player the Sunday before the Thursday night game, you can kind of expect that player to not play in the Thursday night game as well. That might be what we saw with Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry. So this is really the week that if they're not back, then I would say this is the time to start being concerned. Uh, but, you know, we'll see if they're back at practice this week, which is, you know, obviously the hope. Um, not only the two of them, but over on the defensive side, Marshall and Lattimore as well. Paul Sadebo, who was at practice last week, but limited and then questionable, ended up not playing in that Thursday night game again with a short week. So those are really the four names outside of maybe Andrus Pete and Adam Troutman that you're hoping are going to be able to to get back uh, this week. And I guess you could throw Jameis Winston in there too, depending upon how you feel about the quarterback situation. Who should start Sunday against the Raiders if both guys are healthy? It's an interesting thing because you're kind of running out of time to do the evaluation game, right? To say, oh, okay, give Jameis another game and then see if that, see how he plays and things like that. So it kind of feels like, Barring health, whoever you go with this weekend should kind of be the plan moving forward. Um, I'm a little bit more in on Jameis in terms of I would rather the ceiling than the kind of middling floor that you get with uh, Andy Dalton or the middle of the road floor that you get with Andy Dalton to where one or two things goes wrong. You don't really have the firepower at the quarterback position to then come back from that. Um, the issue with Jameis is that you risk those things going wrong. But as we've seen from Andy Dalton so far this season, you're not necessarily um, uh, uh, stepping away from error with him at quarterback, right? He's thrown, you know, he threw three interceptions in the last game. He's thrown four over the season. He's lucky he doesn't have six or seven. So I, I don't really see the difference in terms of risk between the two quarterbacks. So right now, to me, it just comes down to health. Once Jameis Winston is healthy, it makes sense to continue to move forward with him especially if you get Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry back because you spent the entire offseason rebuilding your offense and building a game plan for him. And Andy Dalton's not going to be able to run that. So whatever tweaks and adjustments you make have to be for whichever of those two quarterbacks. But it's you're running out of time really to do the, well, let's get a little bit more of a look at Andy. Let's get a little bit more of a look at Jameis and then making a decision. You kind of have to make a decision. So I'm all about rolling back with Jameis if he's healthy, but – with that back injury and the severity of what it is, plus the ankle, plus the ACL that he's still recovering from and things like that, who knows when he's going to be fully healthy. Ross, we'll wrap it up with this. Typically, if a team was three games under 500, two and five overall, it'd be time to say, well, got to look towards next year. But due to the NFC being, let's be kind of honest here, kind of trash, <laughs> and the yeah. NFC South in particular, the Saints are still only one game out of the division. Like they could still go on a run, win eight games, be eight and nine, and win the division. I think that's a real possibility. That being said, they're going to have to start winning some games eventually. Does that start on Sunday for you? Do, do, do they need to take down the Las Vegas Raiders to start getting back on track? Yeah, look, I think the Saints have been in must win, must win conversation since you know, before the Bengals game, right? And unfortunately, they've dropped those two games since then, and they still have a chance here. They still have life. I think that the key thing here is that, yeah, this is a must-win, I think, for for the Saints, as, as must-win as the eighth game of a season can be for sure. And I think that for the Saints, too, it's an ideal situation. Ideal situation 
in terms of the way that the 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 division has stacked up, not necessarily the way that the season has gone so far. But if you're looking for reasons to improve, to have something within arm's reach, which is right now first or second place in the NFC South and an eventual first place in the NFC South, it's good to have that. You have something right in front of you that says, this is why you you should be improving because this is still very much within your within your grasp. So I think that they're in the the way that I've been saying it is that they're in the neighborhood of controlling their own destiny. They haven't moved in yet. They're still packing at the moment, but they're right there. So you want to continue to improve so that you can be in that conversation. So you do again, control your own destiny. Ross, appreciate your time as always, brother, keep up the tremendous work and we'll talk to you soon. My friend, enjoy the game on Sunday. Thank you, brother. Right back at you. Thanks so much for everything. Big thank you to Hannah as well. I appreciate y'all very much. Take care. Stay safe. We got to take a time out. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize that poll question of the day. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests for joining us today on RP3 and Company. Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio. also want to thank Susan Holiday. She's the CEO of the Realtor Association of Acadiana, as well as Christy House from Next Home Cutting Edge Realty about the annual gumbo cook-off that's Wednesday. And, of course, Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. Our poll question of the day, we asked you, storm the field. LSU stormed the field against Ole Miss. What do you think of it? 49% of you say you hated it. 39% say it's so-so. It's only Ole Miss. And 12% of you say you loved it. That's going to do it for us today. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, I'm Raymond Parch Third. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote in footnotes on a glorious Monday morning is next. Right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs>